Everybody's drunk and fucking each other. Yeah. It's a hot (laughs) mess. I didn't know that. Another episode of Idea Lemons Discover Your Inner Awesome Podcast. My name is Rajiv Nathan, aka the Raj Nation. I am the Idea Lemon co-founder and your show's co-host. I am joined as always by my co-founder and co-host, Martin McGovern, aka Marty McFly. This is Discover Your Inner Awesome, the only show where you get to eavesdrop on conversations with entrepreneurs, artists, and musicians about the stories, the journeys, the struggles, but most importantly, the questions. The questions that help us all better understand who we are, what we're doing, and how we can do it better. In this episode, we sit down with Jeff Davis. Jeff is a salesman, a speaker, and the creator of the Sales and Marketing Alignment Summit, and he's working on something that he calls the concept of togetherness. So with that said, we ask the question, What makes a strong collaboration? Now, before we dive in, I want to give you a quick reminder and invitation to join our tribe of amazing people over at idealemon.com. All you have to do is enter your email address there and you will never miss an episode of this show. That's www.idealemon.com. All right, let's dive in now to our conversation with Jeff Davis asking the question, what makes a strong collaboration? Let's listen in. Throughout my career, I've always let like my interests and my passion lead me, to know it's a little cliche, on what I do next. And so that has taken me from, you know, engineering student to sales to marketing. Um, and I really found that where I live the best is this, this mix or this intersection between sales and marketing. The problem that I found as I became more senior in my career is that unless you give people strong incentives to work together, they just don't naturally collaborate. I think that we, whether you want to call it society or business world, whatnot, live in this little bit selfish uh, world where people are incentivized to just worry about themselves. And so um, I started trying to figure out a way to help these people understand these two interdependent groups that really need each other for survival um, to get it. And I was just really, really amazed as I started talking to people who I would say were very intelligent, very good at their jobs, just not seeing it and just not getting it and thinking what they, what they were doing was collaborating and it wasn't. It was just working side by side, which is not the same thing. Hmm. Uh, and so that's where I've kind of lent my energy, my expertise, my passion is to helping people get, especially in the sales and marketing space, who I, who in my opinion, are probably one of the most two interdependent groups that exist on the face of the earth understand that just because you work along some work alongside somebody doesn't mean you're actually collaborating with them Mm -hmm. there's a difference yeah what have you seen are the major differences between i mean at a surface level yeah there's clearly difference between working side by side and collaborating yeah but what do you see as underneath the surface level as the main gap there um i mean i think it goes back to incentives, right? So sales and marketers, you know, I've been asked the question, well, will eventually you know, sales people become marketers and will marketers become salespeople? And my answer to that is no. I think there are unique things that salespeople do and do very well. And I think there are unique things that marketers do and they do very well and they should be allowed to do them because our personalities are different. Um, I think that, you know, marketers look at a long-term view, they look at markets, they look at macro, you know, scale type things where salespeople are focused on hitting quota, you know, bringing those things to life, having that one-on-one interaction and pull through an execution. Um, so they're just different. But when you don't incentivize them to do things like collaborating, they're gonna naturally do what they're good at and what they're supposed to do, and that's make their number or get as many clicks as they're supposed to get or whatever. And so it's not that they're doing anything wrong or they're doing anything that's counter to the group. 
they're just doing what they're being incentivized to do. And so a lot of managers don't get that, that you literally are incentivizing them not to work together. And until you understand how you incentivize them and encourage them to work together, they're going to naturally do what their job description tells them to do, which, depending on your organization, may be counter to working together. And so you have to step back and say, I hired this person to be a salesperson, and then when they don't collaborate with marketing, I'm confused why they're not. Well, that's not what you hired them for. You hired them to execute sales. So as a leader in your organization, you now have to find a way to tap into their skill sets that they're unique at and incentivize them to do something with marketing or vice versa. It's interesting because yesterday we were recording a podcast and we were talking about how as kids, like the natural, the natural thing to do is to, is to collaborate, right? You like you, you put a bunch of kids in a room, they're going to start creating games together pretty much. Yeah. And then uh, you go to school and the first thing they do is sit you in individual desks and say, stop talking. And then immediately you're pitted against each other to see who gets a better grade, even though you should all be helping each other succeed. But if you talk to each other, you're cheating. And so that's what we were talking about yesterday, where yeah. it's like now it's like even having a conversation with someone else to get information, it's like everyone feels like they have to hold on to, to their, their assets and like protect what they have in, in relation to everyone else. I think it's a really good point. I never thought of it like that. But to your point, it's almost like you have to, to unlearn what you've been taught all your life. And that's translated, obviously, into business and the way that corporations work. And, and it is, I think, that as we become... In, you know, more and more hyper-competitive as businesses and, you know, whether it be the internet or technology or the information or whatever, we can't do what we used to do back in the day where you could get away with just being a silo and just, you know, plowing forward. Just It just doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Society's different. Well, and Martin, to that point of like this tendency to want to hoard and share all the, or hoard all the information as opposed to sharing it, I, I wrote something, I think a few months ago, because uh, one of our readers wrote me and he's like, hey, I have this idea. I'm thinking about starting a blog like you suggested I should, but I'm worried someone's going to steal my idea. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, like, stop assuming people care enough as you do about right. this one thing. And if you start blogging about it, you're not like going to blog your trade secrets. And and why? who would want to read that? Right. Like you're going to blog. I can't remember what I can't remember what it was around. It was something something in athletics. Like if you're gonna start blogging, it's not like your your ten posts are gonna be here's yeah. step one of how I'm creating my product. Right. Here's step two. It's gonna be like here's what the Bulls did yesterday, <laughs> like, and that's what people want to read. And this idea, and and the other thing too is, most often your idea is not good enough for someone else to <laughs> even want this to is steal. True. Yeah. Like you, most ideas true. are shit, and that's <laughs> I don't see that to like stop people from thinking about ideas and trying things. Right. But usually you haven't fleshed it out yet for it to be worth stealing. It's true. And the thing is, two points come to mind when you say that. I think it was Warren Buffett that said, you know, if your business idea is that easy to steal, wasn't a good idea in the first place. <laughs> and then secondly, I've had a great mentor who told me, and I always kind of go to him when I have business ideas or ventures I want to go on. And he's like, here's the thing. You may not be the first to come up with this idea. You may not be the last, whatever. But whoever is doing it is not you. Every person brings something unique to that to that idea of business, whatever it is, and no one has your exact story. So either they A can't tell it the way you do, or B, they just don't bring the same things yeah. that you do. Like, you know, like look at the great singers and athletes. Were they the first people to do that? No, but they have unique skill sets that allowed them to succeed. And most of them just said, I just didn't listen to haters and I did what I wanted right. to do. And I didn't let anybody stop me. There are plenty of people, I can think of entertainment right now, that let's all be honest, aren't really that great. They're not the best singers, they're not the best actresses or actors, but they're millionaires. So, like to your point, just do it. Yeah. And it yeah. may hit, it may not hit, it. but whatever. Like no one's gonna come in. And, oh, I saw your blog last week, and I totally started this multi-million dollar business. Yeah. Ha, ha, ha. And if so, they're gonna come and be like, "Thank you. Can I? Can you like come be my like advisor <laughs> or whatever?" <laughs> right. I remember. Uh, or if they do laugh at you, it's because you didn't act quick enough, and yeah, this is true. And you suck at your at what you're trying to do because you were asking everybody, "Should I do this or not?" It's too late. You <laughs> already so did it last week. I remember earlier this year, my dad being like, um, "With our with our online course we developed, he was like, what's going to stop someone from stealing that material?'" I was like, "Let them." I was like, "If I was like, if someone wants to go try and rap to other people how to improve your career." Yeah. Let them try that and see if they can do it as good as me. Yeah. And I think it's also 
more motivation for people to stop doing surface level stuff that is a rehash of what's already been done and tap into something that is unique to them that they're passionate about because when you do that you just can't copy that like even if it's the material like we said before even the material is the same it's not going to be with your flavor your swag or whatever it is you know it's just like saying you know does oprah do anything that is earth shattering that she talk about topics that no one's ever talked about and yeah there are instances that she brings into light that we just haven't had a conversation with absolutely but it's because oprah's just amazing at what she does and she's her is why she's so successful it's not the content donna you had a show sally jesse Raphael had a show ricky lake had a show many people have had shows that have lasted for a season or two but oprah's some throwback references right right it's like it tells how old i am <laughs> But they weren't able to capitalize like Oprah because like she's unique in what she does and she does right. she's just amazing at what she does. So uh, to your point, it's not about the content in my mind. It's more about what you bring to the table uniquely that you need to tap into and figure out. So this this brings up for me something. Uh, I mean, given that collaboration is our topic today, that I find fascinating within music, which is you look at hip hop. Jay-Z and Kanye collaborate on a song. It's like, hey, did you hear that new Jay-Z Kanye song? Or that, that album? But hip-hop's the only genre where that can happen. Like, think if the Rolling Stones and Aerosmith collaborated on a song, the world would explode. <laughs> like, people's brains would not be able to, like, process that. Yeah. And it would be, the, like, the biggest news story of the day. And hip-hop is something, and I think it's just looking at the origins of it, right? Which was people in, I, I think it was Harlem, um, basically on the playground, just like bouncing lines off of one another. Right. It, was, it was something that was founded in collaboration. Right. Whereas no other genre, outside of like a band within themselves, like the, the singer with the bassist and the guitarist and the drummer right, right. playing a song together, there's no other genre that was designed for people to come on to your song and you to go on their song. Yeah, and I so, think it's in... Go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm oh, sorry. It was also designed with you... Rapping over other songs. That too. That's, yeah. That's the reason. Like Aerosmith and uh, Rolling Stones. And, no. And uh, the, uh, Run DMC. Run DMC. Ah, three letters. Totally different group. I know. I know. I know. One was a little bit more vulgar than the other. <laughs> Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, but like that works because you know it's it fits in the way that hip hop was originally designed. Yeah. And actually. What the I think the original foundation of it was like DJs playing um, like rock and roll songs, yeah. And then when it got to the break in between, like like the bridge of the song where it was just music, they started to scratch the record, and then like they get on the microphone and right. be like, "And if you feel the jam, everybody stand," and that would just like get the crowd going. I kind of did a Space Jam thing there. Come on and slam, and welcome to the jam. Well, and to to your point, it is. It's in the DNA of the culture. Like it's, it really is a cultural thing uh, when you look at it. And so not to like blow it out, but when you create a culture of togetherness where you can succeed while helping others or that your success at the detriment of others is not looked upon lightly. When you create an environment like that, a culture like that, then people just naturally, while you're, you know, worried about your career and making sure you succeed in that sort of thing you're not you know it's this is the phrase i heard that i've never heard before leaving a parking lot full of dead bodies mm. you know and people and some people think like that they're like in order for me to be successful i have to take out everybody in the room and be the last man standing mm -hmm. i think a lot of people walk around like that and it's just like mm, nope i'm not doing that yeah when it comes to collaboration where does like individual and team come into play like there's you know, Jay-Z and Kanye, who are two separate things coming yeah. together and collaborating. And then there's, like, a group, like Run DMC, yep. <laughs> uh, which together are a thing. Um, and so, like, I always find that very interesting. It's, like, two powerhouses coming together versus a group creating a thing yeah. together. In my mind, I think what where most collaboration breaks down is that people, or I should say the group, doesn't have a clear objective or goal. They're just together. And so what that, what that then provides is that the individual then doesn't know their lane. Mm. And so to your point, like a Jay-Z and Kanye, Jay-Z and Kanye are very clear about what they do and what they do well. And they're not intimidated by each other because they're like, I know what I'm doing. So let's 
sit down, figure out what we want to do, you know, creatively, whatever they want to. But I guarantee you they have a goal, objective or something in working together so that when they start, they're like, this is your lane. This is my lane. Let's keep it moving. And so I think when you don't have that and you have these group of people all together and you haven't clearly defined like the roles or what you're supposed to do or what what is the overall objective, then people are just figuring it out on their own. They're like, well, I guess the objective is this. Maybe the goal is this. And so not only are they confused of what the goal is, but they're then confused about what's my lane in getting to that goal. And so it's like herding cats. Mm-hmm. And so when you step in, I mean, it's just it's what it is. And then you're surprised, like, why is no one working together? Well, first of all, they don't know what we're working toward. So you got the cats running around in the prairie, not knowing which direction we're going. Oh, herding. Or, I, I think you had herding. Like, no, no, like, her, like no herding. Herding, not herding. Not hurting. Not hurting. Like, yeah, that's a bad thing. Not that's a weird analogy, but that is bad. Yeah. <laughs> Raj, is there something you do on the weekends that we need to know I think about? That's the beginning oh, sets of a social Animal rights and yeah, Peter yeah, yeah. on our door. Like, yeah. Please, Peter. But uh, yeah, so the cats don't know where they're going. And then you're trying to herd with a D and they're individually can't work together because they're like, well, what is my lane? I'm just like following everybody. Yeah. So it's a hot mess. That's why. Yeah. The goal. That's a good point, because then there are even times when someone's verse or lines will get cut from the song because it doesn't fit. I remember if you remember on Kanye's second album, Late Registration, there was a song called Crack Music. Totally remember it. I don't know. It was a popular song. <laughs> I just don't know. And the song featured uh, the other rapper, Game. Yeah. And Game only does the hook on that. And only, he only has half the hook. That's that crack music, crack music. That real black music, black music. And I remember hearing it and being like, when it first came out, I was like, it's so weird. Like the song says featuring game, but he has, like he has, much. he says the same line twice, four different times in the song. Yeah. And then I remember reading a couple of years later that he actually did a whole verse and Kanye was like, this has nothing to do with the topic of this song. So I'm not using it in the final version. Take the other, take, but, but that was the goal. Like he had like the, uh, whatever message he was going through in that song, vision. it didn't fit. So yeah. he cut that. Yeah. And the collaboration didn't work there. I mean, it was a different type of collaboration because of the goal. Right. But then take a different goal, like uh, Eminem's Without Me starts with Obi, that sample of Obi Trice. Obi Trice, real name, no gimmicks. And that's all he has in there. That one but, I do know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but in that instance, while it's literally just him saying his name, real names, no gimmicks, all Eminem's goal was in that song was to get people to know that Obi Trice exists. Yep. Because then Obi Trice came out with an album shortly after that that song came out. So people knew what Who to expect was. and they knew, okay, here's a guy I've heard before. Yep. Let me let me go further into this. So it's really you're right. It's a matter of what are you trying to accomplish in that instance or in that project yeah. that that determines how is the collaboration going to come together? Yeah, well, who's the decision maker? Yeah. And, that's, and that's a whole nother layer. But that's, to me, anytime you work in a group and you haven't clearly defined, like the first question I would ask somebody who's saying, like, how do we fix this? What is the goal of this group being together? What is the objective? What are we trying to achieve? And if you don't know that, that's problem number one. That's why it's not working. No one knows what, what the North Star is like while we're together. And I, I can tell you, I guarantee you, as I you know, talk to people in other businesses, that you know, my sales and marketing don't get along. Like they're not, they're clashing. Da 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 da. And I'm like, well, does everybody know what the revenue goal is for Q4? Does everybody know the revenue goal for the year? What do you mean? I'm like, how do you expect marketers to know what they're looking at or trying to get toward? I guarantee your salespeople know it, but do marketers know it? Like our goal for this year is 23.5 million, whatever that is, or a billion. Everybody should know that, marketing included. And so what you find is that people are like, well, if I get 20,000 clicks, I've done my job. Well, did 20,000 clicks get to $23.5 million? And if it didn't, no, you didn't do job. But you can't hold people accountable if you don't tell them what the goal is. Yeah, I, so I used to work at an ad agency. Okay. And I first worked in account management, then moved over to sales. Okay. In account management, I was, I had like the, uh, sales is gross kind of mindset, you know? <laughs> Most people do. And that was like my mindset coming out of college. So I just, you know, and I was never really exposed to sales. Now, it was a company where we were not on retainer, okay. which for people who don't understand what that means, that's... Fixes your teeth. <laughs> uh, there are large ad agencies where... 
actually yeah, cost you money. <laughs> there are large ad agencies where a brand is signing like a several year contract, basically, and they're going to work with that agency regardless, unless you know there's some type of fallout. Yeah. So where I worked, it was on a project per project basis. Like we had client, we had repeat clients, which is obviously how you survive as a business. Right. But it was on a project by project basis, and you'd you'd win a client, and then try and you know work with them, but then sell them the next thing. Got it. So as an account manager. I was working with them on the existing project and then also looking at how do I get the next deal to close for them because they you know, become like the, the farmer at that point, right? Yep. Um, but I remember the first you know, year or so being like, this is so like slimy that I have to like get, figure out how to make more money. You know, if yeah. you, realistically, if you think about it, this is weird. I have to think about how to make money for the company. <laughs> but at the time, it's like, oh, this is weird. I have to figure out how do I lie to them to make yeah. to get them to buy stuff from us which is not really what it is but that's even just that gap right there was huge and that and that's why you don't really understand like what's the salesperson going through and what are they trying to do to help me yeah have a job <laughs> right and then when i moved to the sales side like then i finally understood it and then i saw how stupid i was as an account manager in that respect but then even more so i saw what the corporate marketing team is doing yeah I was like, yeah, I get that we're doing these interesting, cool things, but how does that help what's going on here? And not all of it was like yeah. bad. I'm just like, I'm looking at each thing that they're doing and it's like, okay, yeah, so we're going to send out these, you know, like whatever, like water bottles to the, to, and I'm like, okay, are we tracking anything with this? Does it work? <laughs> yeah. So the crazy thing is, and it's still a problem. I, I, I think that, and I forgot, somebody else had a podcast or whatnot. They were talking about, it's happening more and more. But getting you know college grads to think of sales as an actual career versus kind of most people I would say you know my my age or older most likely probably fell into it like I fell into sales I had no in, I mean going to school for engineering and then graduating telling my mom I'm going to sales she was like what the what and I was like yeah I'm gonna try it a bit if it's horrible I'll just go back to engineering um, but I have had so many conversations you know I went to business school you know focused on marketing and when people found because I was in sales all through all through business school. And I would have arguments with people, super smart people in business school, might have been finance people, maybe, maybe not. You can conclude <laughs> what you want to think. And they would be like, oh, yeah, the dumb salespeople and da 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 da. I go, well, first of all, relax. I'm in sales. I'm in the same business school as you. And my last point, drop the mic, uh, who else generates revenue for the company? Because you don't. And if we stop working as salespeople, we're all out of a job. So I think there's this, you know, this humbleness that, you know, and as a marketer myself, I get it, right? A lot of us have gone to business school and we have advanced degrees and we're super smart and we're doing all this strategic planning or giving out water bottles or whatever it is. <laughs> and marketers get so caught up in this world of like stuff and analytics, if you're lucky, and tactics and strategies and 360 degree view. And it's a really simple question. Which is none what, of it really means anything. None of it really means anything. It's <laughs> marketing. T-shirt bazookas. Right. And the, the latest cutting edge technology and, you know, blah, 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 blah. All these, we just, we like to, marketers love words. We like to make up stuff. And it's a really simple question to say, like, after we've done all that, is it moving the needle for us to generate revenue? And a lot of marketers don't want to have that conversation because they know a lot of the stuff they do is bullshit and that they're trying to validate their job. And I even felt it as a corporate marketer that I was like, these people are just trying to validate that they should work here. Because clearly that tactic we're doing is useless. Salespeople don't want that. And so in my mind, I was like, well, if the salespeople don't want it and the salespeople don't need it and it doesn't benefit them, it doesn't actually move our project forward, either from a branding standpoint or something, why are we wasting money? It doesn't improve the product, and it doesn't improve the sales of the product. No, it's it just, just there. improves you putting more stuff on your resume, yeah. <laughs> which goes back to being selfish and not working together and not collaborating with your sales colleagues. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because a lot of it is being able to honestly try to think from the other person's perspective. Absolutely. Um, which is, I don't think people think to do because it's not that easy to do. Um, we tend to think our way is right, right, and if someone disagrees with us, they must be wrong uh -huh. or stupid or whatever. But in reality, it's it's just not understanding or not being willing to say, 
why are they thinking that way? What makes them have that viewpoint that's different than me? Whether it's you know the sales marketing environment or anything else, right? Even in a relationship, right? Like a romantic relationship, right? Most arguments stem from not understanding where the other person is coming from, and why are they, why are they acting and saying that thing, right? And it's a simple question, right? When you when you think about collaboration, you know, even from a business standpoint, setting strategy, whatnot. Asking the question, how does what I'm doing affect you? Or how will it affect you? And just having that dialogue, or to your point, just thinking through that of I need to do these things or I need to accomplish this stuff. If I push this on you, is that going to hamper you from doing what you need to do? Is it going to cause you to, I don't know, slap me? Right? What, what is the end, like what's the result of me doing this to you? Or me requiring you to do this. And I think to your point, you know, in a relationship, if I say this, how does that make you react? Or how does that make you feel? Think about that before you say something or before you, or before you do something. And it's having that forethought of, okay, let me see how this plays out. And if in my mind it makes sense, then do it. If not, maybe I should step back for a second and do something different. Or at least have that beat where you think, how could this go? And then when people react negatively, don't be shocked like, oh my God, I don't know why they're freaking out and blah, 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 blah. Well, maybe because what you said was inappropriate and made them not feel good or you, you were asking them to do something that they couldn't do or whatever that is. And so I think it's taking that moment to say, how is what I'm doing or how is what I'm about to do affecting, directly affecting who I'm putting it on or whatnot, so. Yeah. I think the important like caveat to this too is Collaboration or togetherness does not mean. Where's my shoulder? <laughs> does not mean. Welcome to old age. <laughs> no, that's been doing that for 10, 15 years. You're just broken. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till my knee goes. Right. That'll start clicking. Um, no, collaboration or togetherness does not mean, hey, we're always in a group huddling up at all hours of the day. Like, I actually think the Zappos model of like, they flattened their organization mm -hmm. and removed all like walls and made it all open. To, I actually don't agree with that at all because there are times when I need to just like hold up me. and get shit done and not get distracted because someone walked by and they're like, hey, can you look at this? Right. I'm like, no. I mean, I guess technically I can, but it's going to I'm gonna lose 30 minutes if I do that. Um, so it doesn't mean you have to be constantly talking and constantly in this like, you know, open environment and all that stuff. It really does mean you are focused on a common goal. Because then if you do that, then you'll say, all right, what's the best strategic decision for this common goal? Hey, if you see someone with their headphones on, don't tap them on the shoulder. Leave them alone. Yeah. If someone says they're going to go make sales calls, leave them alone. Right. Right? Well, and to, to your point about Zappos, what's the common goal of Zappos? It's to have call representatives that when they pick up the phone, they're happy. And that's why that environment is so communal and it's built that way. Is that way. really what it is? Yeah, because when you pick up the phone, if you're in a cubicle, isolated, not allowed to talk to anyone, and just like uh, like most call centers. Interesting, yeah. okay. Like, it's like, hi, oh, I just got yelled at, hang up. Hi, I'm getting yelled at again, hang up. Hi, I'm getting yelled at again, hang up. That's like, no. And so you're so insular that you don't have anybody. You have like, no one. It's happening to me too. Yeah, yeah. Or, but there, it's like you get hit with a Nerf ball and you're like, oh, no, I'm in a good mood. Okay, I'll pick up the phone oh, again. Okay. And but it's not just the call center. That that's how they built like their entire business was they was this like call center. Like that's how that's why they flattened it. That's why okay. so that you could do that and like that's why they throw like a Red Bull in the shoes when they ship it out because they talk to you and they realize you're gonna run a five k or something like uh, that. Like, yeah, nothing's better for a five k than a Red Bull. At, whatever. <laughs> but like that, it was a that was the thing that they did though, yeah. and it's 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 the whole point of it was like. To encourage conversation because you hear the stories about Zappos where like someone will call in and be upset and then have a two and a half hour conversation with the call person and leave like really happy. super happy like yeah. telling everyone about Amazon yeah. or, or Zappos. 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 <laughs> well, well, <laughs> they had a, had a great interaction with Zappos. They went telling their friends about Amazon. Well, Amazon owns Zappos. Right. So yeah, it's same it's thing all now. Same so thing. actually, officially, you're right. Yeah. But I think, Raj, you bring up a good point because like people know my personality, and like I'm not all about you know when I when I talk about togetherness, um, which is my lecture, not my lecture, but my talk. 
I make it very clear when I say togetherness, it's not this like hippie idea of like, let's smoke weed, hold hands, be in a huddle, sit around the tree and like always in this communal thing. Like that's not what I'm talking about. And I feel like on the surface level, a lot of people hear that and they're like, well, let's just put sales and marketing in a room. Let's just have them be friends. Look, let's just have get togethers and all these events. And like, that's not it. Like you are physically together, but you're not working together. It's not, it's not, that's not what the essence and the ethos of it is. And so what you made me think of when you said that was, I don't know if you saw the Android commercial where it said, be together, not the same, yeah. but just the direct like knock on Apple. Yeah. In the minute I saw that, I go, I don't know who the lead marketer in that, but that is genius. You don't have to all be the same. You don't have to all be like, oh, we love each other. And we all wear the same outfits every day. That's not what it's about. It's about having a common goal, working together, and then bringing your unique self to that common goal. Mm -hmm. And that may not be sitting around in a huddle in a conference room pretending like you all like each other. So you're saying these happy hours aren't doing anything? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> I don't want those to go away. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying, to, you know, because people like, sales and marketing should work together. Let's put them in a conference room for eight hours, and then when they're done, they'll be best friends, and that, that solves our problems. I'm like, that's not, that's not. You've got a parking lot full of dead bodies. Parking lot full of dead bodies. <laughs> I know the salespeople might take out the marketers. Those people can be really aggressive. <laughs> They got that quota to hit. Yeah, they got <laughs> a quota to hit. Yeah, you don't think you get in the way, they might take you out. <laughs> I think so. From what you were saying, Martin, the Zappos is like that for the reason of the call center, right? And that okay, so that makes sense. What doesn't make sense is then when someone reads the Inc. article about Zappos culture and they're like, "That's we need to have that in our. Why don't we have that in our? Right. Let, let's change our agency where the entire purpose is to not talk to people into Zappos. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just like, and then and then you wonder why it doesn't work. It's like, well, just because that works for their business. Yeah. yeah, like it doesn't work for every business. Yeah, and it was a risk. They, huge, <laughs> risk huge risk. Huge risk. Yeah, and plus they were a young company, and so you can you know you can play with stuff like that. I mean, it's like, you know, you have an established organization. Yeah. It's like the Titanic. You just can't be all of a sudden, like, open all the windows. Like, let's just go for it. <laughs> right? <laughs> Playing the violins. Right, the yeah. No. <laughs> so. Martin, from your background in the ad world, so a big part of collaboration is process. And having a unified process that helps, enables each person in that you know, in the journey to do what they do best mm -hmm. and get to that common goal more efficiently or effectively. What did you see when in your life in the ad world as like the bottleneck in getting the common goal achieved? I guess pick a common goal that you thought you were working towards and what was the bottleneck in that process? Decision makers, always. Like who is making the decision? It's either usually it's, you don't know who it is, or it's like a hundred people. Like there's, it's either everyone needs to make the decision or no one's making the decision. Like I remember uh, when we used to have to get legal write-off when I worked in at a credit card company, and it was like you actually had to physically print it off, then you had to go around to each VP that could that like came somewhere near touching this project, which is like three or four different VPs, then you had to take it to legal have legal go through it, sometimes two different lawyers, then back to all the VPs so they could write off what legal wrote off, then back to the lawyers for any changes, and then to your own manager in order to get the approval from the person that is supposed to tell you what to do. And then granted, I was like entry level, right? right? So, but, and then finally it goes out. And so like something that is just like a banner on a website could take three, four, five weeks. And it just blew my mind because then when I went to advertising, things got a little quicker, but it's still pretty slow. Yeah. Um, but it's just like when there's that many people, there's no possible way to get a consensus. And none of them are talking to each other. And they're all like reading people's pen notes, like red pen notes on, on actual like there's like post-its all over. It was a complete mess. Like everything about it was just so ridiculous. And I think not I think the hardest thing in, in every situation that I've ever been in when it comes to collaboration is either having too many people making decisions or not knowing who makes the decision at the end of the day. Um, I mean, we've even seen that with like idea lemon. It's like, we're both 50, 50 owners. So who gets to decide at the end of the day, if we disagree. And that's, I remember when we talked to lawyers at the beginning, 
they said someone needs to be fifty one percent, and we're like, ah, we're good. <laughs> and like, <laughs> but like that's that's a, a legitimate thing in most startups and most companies, like especially with marketing, like everyone's got a good idea, right? So like, well, we're all just going to collaborate on this new idea, and no one actually wants to take the responsibility of leading. I'm actually trying to help start up a a networking group right now. And I'm like, the first thing we need to do is is choose the person who's going to make the decisions. And everyone's like, we'll get to that, Barb. Well, let's come up with the ideas first. I'm like, the idea is we're going to have too many. We're going to have too many ideas. We need someone to say that idea. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the sprint process, they just presented on that the other day, that new book by Google Ventures. Um, one of the things is like, there's a person in that room that when all the stuff gets put on the walls, one person says this one. And without that, the whole thing is a mess. I agree. It's funny, as you say that, what I think back to is in college when we started the marketing club, I was the one who was like, I'm president. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, for no other reason, I was like, well, I mean, A, I wanted to be, but I was like, hey, if we're all just like VPs of everything, then sweet, we can just like have cuddle fests forever. Yeah. And... I think it worked well because we knew at the end of the day, it was like, all right, Raj, agree, disagree. Agree, let's do it. Disagree. Yeah. No, let's, yeah. do, let's not do yeah. it. And I would add to that, you know, and this is just my leadership style. And some people may say I spend too much time on it, but I think it's really critical and very key as a leader of any organization is to sit down either with the VPs or the colleagues or whatever it is. What is our ultimate goal? What's our North Star? Like, what are we trying to achieve? So that when you have those conversations that get really heated and everybody's like upset because they're idea good, stop. These are the three that we're going to decide on. Which one correlates the best to what we agreed to six months ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because then you're not doing this whole back and forth personality things where you just don't like me or, or you don't understand what I'm saying. I was like, no, no, no. I get it. But I want you to remember our conversation six months ago that we all agreed to. This is what our objective is. Mm-hmm. Not that that can't change, but this is what we agreed to. And then it comes a very binary, objective, it's not a personal thing, it just doesn't fit what we agree to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that helps people, I mean, people always can get their feelings hurt because their yeah. idea didn't get chosen, but it takes the, pers- the personal side of that more, in my mind, because it's, you have, you have like metrics that you can compare against. But. Yeah, and when you're not the decider, it helps to know that there is a decider because then you don't have to feel responsible for every decision. Like right. I've been on, I've been in in communities and groups where it was like it was trying to do a consensus thing, and so I'm like, I need to help make this consensus. Versus I've well, I've been part of things where I'm like that person is ultimately who is leading this. Yeah. So I will give all the information, all the opinions, everything that I think, and I will help as much as I can. But at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're the one that makes this decision, and it helps me not get so invested in every little detail. Yeah, and I struggle with the consensus. You know, so I lived on the West Coast for a while. I won't say which city. <laughs> and it's, it can be a very consensus-driven place. I think that having 100% consensus is unrealistic, and to be honest with you, shouldn't be a goal. And and what I saw, and and what people I think sometimes don't think about is, you can purposely create conflict in order to avoid something happening. It allows people, for personal reasons potentially, or vindictive reasons to say, I'm just not agreeing to that out of pure principle because I don't like such and such. And so if you have nine out of 10 people agreeing and that 10th person doesn't agree and your organization is 100% consensus-based and we can't move forward until that last person agrees, that to me is a bit ridiculous. Yeah. And it also lengthens the process for us to make decisions. And as a business, you know, we have to be agile. And so what I saw many times is, I'm not saying I'm against consensus-driven decisions, but when it has to be 100%, that to me is crazy. Uh, and you know, if it were me, <laughs> After we get over 50, like whatever, we're gonna go this way. Maybe that's a little bit too aggressive, but I just feel like everybody in the room, you know, when it comes to Mark's point about who has the decision or who has the D, everybody can't be the chief. And everybody's opinion doesn't matter as much. And people just have to recognize that, and that's okay. Uh, it doesn't mean your opinion doesn't matter, but if, you know, we have 10 people, nine agree, we're on the same page. I mean, we're not trying to figure out whether or not somebody's going to the electric chair. That's a very different <laughs> decision. It's a very different decision, right? It's something very different. We're deciding whether or not the campaign should be green or blue. Yeah. Or we should like work with 
it's not the end of the world. Let's move on. Should be blue. Well, I mean, it's also right. I mean, but think about there's a reason there's an odd number of Supreme Court judges. Exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. They can't come to a decision. Right. Otherwise. And then we're sitting there like, oh, I don't know whether you should be able to do this or not. Well, two and two or four and four or whatever. We just gonna sit here and keep going yeah. for decades. It's crazy. And the other, I think the other part of this too is when you have the assigned leader. Um, what makes them a strong leader? Uh, Simon Sinek actually talks about this in his Leaders Eat Last book. Yeah is you'll notice like there'll be tons of conversation going on. People will be giving their input and here's what I think, here's what I think. But the leader will just kind of sit back and take it all in and they won't say a thing. And then the conversation will start to settle down and they'll say, okay, here's what we've come to so far. Here's what I think. And then they start to go from there. Right. Is what, what he... The, the point Cynic illustrates, not only does the good leader like take in the information and then talk, but if the leader kicks off the meeting by saying, all right, so uh, here's the topic today. Here are my opinions on it. Let me know what you, like, go. Everyone is going to skew what they say to be in favor of that leader. Absolutely. Instead of just giving their raw thoughts and yeah. opinions. And then you actually, it's, you don't get biased then yeah. for the decision. Well, and that's what drives me crazy when you're trying to put together a team, right? Or put together an organization. Um, when, I, when I was talking with this uh, networking group that I'm working with, the immediate thing everyone said was, we can't choose a leader because we, if we don't give the community a voice, if we don't let them know that their voice is heard, then they're going to be upset. And I was like, you can still make people feel heard while having a decision maker, like those aren't yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. Things it sounds like a super frustrating meeting to be in. <laughs> <laughs> they're not mutually exclusive, right? As yeah. he just smiles and puts yeah. his hand on his chin. It's like <laughs> we can talk about that yeah. later. But that's even why. Um, what was the awful movement? The Occupy Wall Street movement, where they're like, we don't have a leader. What? Was I don't know. They snapped. Oh. Oh, that is true. Yeah, I forgot about that actually. Yeah, you were right. It was like a jazz fest. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, okay, good luck ever gaining any sort of momentum if there's no yeah. one who's making decisions. And, and I think what happens is more often than not, you see people in leadership positions and they're not leaders, they're managers. Mm. And, you know, especially in you know, my experience coming from sales uh, you know, for many, many years, the best salesperson is always the best sales manager. And I've seen people get promoted that are really awesome salespeople. But the minute you make them a sales manager, they're just really shitty at doing it. Because instead of going in and coaching and trying to help people understand the business and doing all the things a, you know, a, a leader manager should do, they want to sell over the salesperson. Like I've even had people like I, you know, I bring my manager into a sales meeting. You're there to observe, to your point, Raj, observe, take it all in, and then give me feedback afterwards of what I could have done, you know, done better. Or if I'm really like derailing and it's just like I'm going off the, the deep end, to catch me, save me, put me back in course and let me go. What I found was that many times I'm talking to my client or customer and then you're, you're selling on top of me. That's kind of counterproductive. Yeah. We didn't come in here for that. I mean, relax. You're still getting, we're still getting <laughs> you're, the commission regardless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, unless I'm really, really throwing it like, you know, in the trash can, just like observe, take notes, and then afterwards let's sit down, debrief, and talk about what I did right, wrong, whatever. You know what I mean? And I think that's just between a leader and a, a leader and a manager. But I'm curious, given Jeff, your background, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. So Martin, you said when you were in advertising, the bottleneck was too many decision makers or no decision. or no decision maker. My what I found to be the bottleneck when I worked in advertising was and I know you talk about sales and marketing alignment. What I found was dis or unalignment? Disalignment? I feel like that might be <laughs> alignment less. <laughs> Let's I'm go with dis- sure that's not <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with disalignment. Misalignment? That sounds right. They are misalignment. But they may be different things. Uh, we're just going to go with it. All right. I like creating words. All right. Let's go with disalignment. We're marketing. Marketer, right? Yeah, we're I like words. creating words. Disalignment between sales slash account side, account management yep. side, so marketing, yep. and the dev side. Okay. So I'm on the sales slash account side. And I'm like, do what's best for the client. And the dev side is like, well, they only had so many hours booked. We can't do that, yada, yada, yada. And I'm like, I can talk to them about change order. They can pay X dollars more. But 
stop going into like when they ask if we can do something and we're on like a you know status call yeah. with the client and your answer is well that's out of scope it's like that's bad it tells them we're treating them like shit right and that was always the struggle that I faced was the lack of alignment between me on the sales slash account side and mm-hmm. them on the dev side because they were and maybe it's to the point of the lack of common goal like their goal was finished project on original schedule Time. that was sold in. Right. Because that's how they get graded. Mine is sell, make client happy. Yeah. So what is your, I guess, opinion? Have you encountered that before in your work? And where do you think that could have been resolved? Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. So I've, I've done that, right, with the when I've worked with market agents and that sort of thing. And so... I would approach that because I get right. We have timelines, we have projects going, you know, and I've done project management as well. The the better thing to say to the client is, we hear what you say, we can do that, but we want to let you know that that's going to impact the scope of the project and potentially the deadline that we've agreed to. So it's letting you to your point. I'm acknowledging that we can do it because you say we can't do it, then I think maybe it's a functional thing. Like you literally just can't do it. We can do it. We hear you. It makes sense to us. But here are the trade-offs. Right. Your deadline might slip. It might cost you more money. We're just letting you know that. Because who's to, who's to say if the client says, oh, okay, we want it that bad. We don't care if the deadline goes out. And we're willing to pay $15,000 more. Right. Because you really have shut yourself out. And so here, when you think about everybody focusing on revenue, which I think all departments should. You, know, I, you, know, you said devs. But I say sales marketing all should be focused on revenue. If we were all focused on revenue and getting the, extracting the most dollars out of the client, even as a dev person, I would have said, we can do that, but it's going to cost you more money. Mm-hmm. And we're okay with that because I can push my deadline off. If you're going to give us 15, 25K, I don't really care. But they're so focused on deadlines versus making the customer happy, making more money, they can't see that. Yeah. And that, that's, I don't think there was that commonality. Um... And on top of that, the other thing I noticed, too, was there wasn't clear distinction over at what point is the dev person stepping into my boundary and vice yeah. versa. So it'd be like clients saying something and I'm getting on like the internal uh, IM system, the messaging system. Yeah. It's like, hey, you need to tell them this, this and this. And I'm like, you can tell them. That. <laughs> well, actually, in a lot of cases, they can't. They're not allowed to talk yeah. to the client. Cause no, no, they shouldn't be talking about the dollars and cents of it. Yeah. But it was like. It wasn't even it wasn't even dollars and cents. No, but I'm saying like the devs were not allowed to talk to the client where I came from, and and also um, I think one of the reasons that happens is like we're talking about the revenue piece, but there's so much stuff that the client asked for that's not impacting. Like it's so small. Like oh, can you just change that button or move that thing or do that thing? And like you know these things are getting easier and easier for devs to do every year, but they're not. Like there was one thing, it seemed small. They were like, oh, can you just change that on the site? Yeah. But it would have affected every page, everything, and it would have created hours and hours and hours of work that cascades everything, that pushes everything out. Yeah. And they asked for these things. And then you have you have account people who don't understand the dev side. Just go to the dev person and go, change that and have it to me by right. the morning. And then you start building the animosity from the beginning. And then when a, a real thing does come up that could be like, oh my gosh, this is an opportunity for a company to build something, there's no trust there. And, and, and that one's tough because I always feel like I would like the least amount of point of context as possible. Because when you start talking to three, four, five, six different people on a regular basis, you know, things are going to get dropped. People are going to say one thing and counteract the other one. So to your point, you know, if we could have one point of contact, that would be ideal, or maybe two, or whatever it is. But I do think I always ask, you know, when, when people want to get on calls, for instance, is the majority of this call going to be about sales, or is the majority of this call going to be about dev? Like, what's like, is this eighty percent dev, twenty percent sales? And if it's to the point where it's so much of things that are out of scope of what I do, while I may tee it up, I want them to have a conversation because. No matter what anybody says, no matter how good you are, I'm going to drop things. It's like playing telephone. Mm-hmm. Whatever dev, They're going to ask me a question. I'm going to go to Dev. Dev's going to tell me. I'm going to go back. And, and I probably will get it maybe 75% right. And then you have to do more and more talking back and forth. So instead of just teeing up the call, putting them in the same room or on the same call, talk it out. I'm there. I can hear everything. If something is said that's not right, I can correct it at that moment. I feel like I've found that to be the most effective way on dealing with that sort of thing. Yeah. 
That did happen a lot, Martin, what you were saying, the account side, not understanding that. That's where I actually think, that's what I thought I did better than a lot of people, because for whatever reason, I understood both the other side of it. And I actually, I mean, I even had like my company, like, I especially requested for them to send me to our headquarters so that I could just sit with the dev people for a week and yeah. just know like what they go through. That's smart. Um, and that was great because once you get FaceTime with a person who you only interact with over the phone, they're much more likely to like want to help you. Right. Well, and answer your emails. But yeah, well, you're also standing up for them. Like being able to like you have account people who don't know how to say no. Yeah. Because they're they're afraid of saying no to someone. Now you've got a real bad situation. Yeah, and, yeah. There was plenty of that, and I, and it's like, and especially when you're in that role, you've got to be the hero for the internal team, but also the hero for the client. Yeah. Um, the specific scenario you were talking about, my favorite, and it always seemed to work, was I would just tell the client, because they'd be like, "What do you mean? It's just like moving the Twitter button over here." And I'd be like, well, "I'd be like, yeah, but think like we're playing Jenga, and if you remove like the third block from the bottom." Yep. The tower is going to start to tilt over, and the whole thing might fall apart. Another one that my coworker used, which I thought was just hilarious, was the client asked to build it on Rush, like you know Rush timeline. Yeah. So we were like, okay, it's going to cost this much, and the Rush fee is X dollars more. She was like, all right. So we built it, delivered it, and then she was like, this looks great, thanks. We actually don't need it on Rush anymore, so if you can remove that fee from the contract, that's that'd be great. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and my coworker goes, he's like, we, no, we can't. Do that, and she's like, "Well, why?" And he, he goes, "He goes, well, if you ordered something on Amazon one day delivery, and then it arrived, and you're like, actually, I don't need it until three days from now, is Amazon going to give you your money back? Are you no? <laughs> it's like you already got it." And she was like, "Oh, that's okay. when you say it never showed up, and you get your refund, <laughs> or you can do that." <laughs> no, but to your point, that's where good salespeople do their job and not throwing their colleagues, account managers, dev under the bus. I've seen so many times that salespeople, I would say average to low, overcommit because they're scared to lose a sale or upset the, the, the client or a prospect or whatever. But what they don't understand, you end up getting yourself into more trouble because you're overcommitting. Yeah. Your people in your organization can't do what you ask them to. Now they're upset at you for doing it. And now they're upset at the client for doing it, which they may not even do their best work because they're just pissed off about the whole situation. And then you look unprofessional to your client. And I think that as a salesperson, as a frontline person, I always, it's my job to educate the prospect, the client on what's realistic. And you can say no without saying no. It's like, if that what you want, and I'm thinking in my mind, we can't do that, <laughs> not gonna happen. Let me educate you on what it takes to do that. Is that still something you need? And if so, what you're asking for may not be realistic. We'll try. But then I'm not sending out the people behind me of like, you guys got to do this in two days. They're like, dude, that takes a week. I'm like, I don't know. I don't care. I told them two days. It's a lose-lose. And most people, most people, I would say most clients, prospects that are realistic, that are normal. Some people. Some people. <laughs> some people are just unrealistic and you just feel like, this may not be a client you want anyway. But if you explain to them the impact to your point, the Jenga or the, the Amazon, you explain it to them in context of... I don't think you understand what you're asking for, because many times they don't. I would say most normal people will get it. They may still want what they want, but you at least lay the groundwork to say, it's probably not gonna happen. And I've clearly told you why. You can keep asking for it, you can keep expediting, whatever that is, but don't come back to me and say, you know, two months from now that I agreed that you get this in two days, because I clearly, yeah. clearly didn't say that. <laughs> How do you think technology is helping or hurting collaboration? Because I remember, and Ooh, this is a good question. you know, I remember being just getting so pissed with people, number of people who I am, I would I am me at work, yeah, and I would just like shut it off and just do work on my own for a while, um, or even like in the stuff that we've done with Ideal. I mean, you know, we just shut down. I technology. blocked you on every single. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Block. No, but we you know we shut down the technology so we can get things done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jeff, how do you think technology hurts or har or helps collaboration? So this is great. So it's two edged sword, right? I actually. Ironically, just wrote an article on LinkedIn about this. I was talking about um, organizations choosing a B2B sales and marketing alignment technology because there's all this you know, these awesome and new technologies coming in that are automated marketing and you can you know plug them into Salesforce and all that kind of stuff. So it's twofold, right? I think we have all this stuff and all these opportunities and all these technologies out there at our disposal and they're exciting, they're new, they're like the shiny object. But a lot of times what we don't think about it so we just want to use a new thing just because it exists 
and we just throw everything in the bucket and we wonder why things aren't working. It's like, you know, if people ask me, are you on Twitter, Instagram, da 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 it's like, well, wait a second, stop. I'm only one person. I don't know that I need 20 social media accounts. Some people may. I mean, I'm not Kanye West. I'm not Kim Kardashian. Plus, plus they're not running their accounts anyway, but whatever. <laughs> so Kanye is. Yeah, Kanye is. <laughs> when you ask Mark Zuckerberg personally for a lot of money, you're running your account. <laughs> no, no account manager doing that. But um, so I think it has enabled us to have opportunities to be more connected. But I guess I would have liked it too. It's like when you people like, well, money makes you better. Money makes you, being rich makes you a better person. No, it just exacerbates or accelerates or really shows who you are as a person. Uh, and so I think technology is the same way. If you are a shitty person or if you are a person that is very superficial and doesn't really want to connect on a deep basis, I think technology gives you a great way to man for that to manifest. Uh, but like having you know 20 different social media accounts, only talking to people on social, not picking up the phone. Like you would have probably done that anyway. You just have a mechanism in order to achieve that. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons why, like, and I'll probably get flack for this, I'm not really a Facebook evangelist, not that I have anything against it, is that it allows people to have very superficial relationships very easily. And my thing is, if I really want to be friends with you, call me, text me, send me an email, let's talk. And there's nothing against it. I think there are great things to your point about Facebook that allows you to stay in contact with your friends around the world, to see their progress, to see the baby, to see the house. And those are amazing. But it also allows you to kind of like drive by connect. Mm -hmm. Where like you're like, oh yeah, we're so connected. Peace out. Oh yeah, we're best friends. Peace out. So it's all about, it's people, people forget. It's a, it's a tool to achieve something. Technology is just a tool. Technology is not... The, the answer is not the end result. It's not the holy grail. It's something to be used to, uh, to achieve something. And so like if that. your intent is to really truly connect, you will use it in that way. And if it's not, you will also use it in that way. I like that. Real quick, what is the best personal or professional example or personal or professional experience you've, the best personal or professional collaboration you've ever been a part of? Ooh. That's a really deep question. And Martin, if you know your answer, you can say so now. What pressure? I, was I know mine. I can I can go while you guys think. Go you go first, you, which is going to prove that you're really not listening good to me. You've been thinking about this for a while, so I'm going to let you go. I can multitask, even though it's been proven not to be true, but whatever. My, I think, the, the hands down, the best collaboration I've ever been a part of is back in high school uh, on my track team with my track teammates. We had a common goal. We all knew we wanted to win, the, as a team, win the conference championship, win the sectional championship, qualify all four of the relays to the state meet, and as a team, place top 10 in the state. And that's, we accomplished all of those. Yep. And it made us invested in each other's events. Even if you weren't running that event, you were cheering them on. Um, we were like studying each other's race splits and knowing what you had to hit. And it made, like, like practice was, it was, like a dogfight for who was going to do the best in the workouts in a good way. Like yeah. everyone was so committed to, to getting better and improving and achieving those common goals. And then it even made sense then why we placed certain people in different relays when they could have, you know, because we knew we wanted to qualify all four to the state meet yep. when it would have theoretically made more sense to put one guy, you know, in the four by 800 relay because he was faster. We put him in the four by two because without him, he wouldn't. We wouldn't have qualified the four by two. And I and I think knowing that we were all working towards something, we all became great friends as a result. And then we just like we we lived and breathed those goals every day. Yeah. So I'm actually glad you gave me some time to think about this. Um, I would probably say I began a relationship, friendship. <laughs> Let's be very clear about that because she's married now. Uh, <laughs> Friendship uh, with somebody, we actually ended up, well, we were born and raised in the same city, uh, ended up just not knowing each other, started our sales job at the same time, same place. And we had a friendship before, like all like the sales stuff and whatever. And I think that that collaboration was the best because we were in two different markets and throughout our career, we actually still talk probably daily to this day. We just were amazing at calling each other out on 
taking it to the next level and helping each other and pushing each other because even though because we we're in different markets, we weren't competing directly with each other, but we were both really aggressive people and really high achievers. And so when I started to doubt myself or weren't doing things the right way, you know, she would tell me like, no, you do this, get on this hustle. And she called me and push her um, when she was like kind of slacking on stuff and not that she was slacking, but when you just need that extra boost, I would do the same for her. You know, we would have projects that were coming up that would do that we would collaborate like her, you know, her stance on how she took it in her district or her region. You know, she would help me with mine. And one of the reasons I think I performed so well in some of those kind of landmark, um, you know, stop off point in your career was because the, I didn't do it alone. And with people within your own district team, whatever, they have their own thing about whether or not they want to help you. Like they're trying to do their own thing and you're really kind of competitors. And so there's that energy of like, eh, if I help you, that's time for me not selling. So this relationship was great because it was more of a collaboration because we weren't competing with each other. So um, I would probably say we still rely on each other today. That's awesome. Awesome. Uh, for me, it was being an RA in college. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, there's a common goal of like, let's make sure this place doesn't burn down by the end of the year, right? And uh, what we would do is like everyone had their own floor and not everyone just had their own floor. Everyone had their own wing of the floors. So there were two people. Oh, oh the RAs, you mean? Yeah. Okay. So um, I had my side. I had the west side. You have the east side. Um, and each person has their own. Fl- and, and there's two people per floor. And then you'd all get together and you would just like talk about like, you know, who's struggling on your floors. Like who has different skill sets. Like I'm really good at, at resumes. So send them my way. You're really good at like relationships send them your way this person had a really hard time with this teacher i had that teacher like like everyone was and and you were literally living in it like you could not get away you were being woken up at 4 a.m for like crazy things and so there were just like nights where you know you're having a hard time someone just like knocking your door like show up on your food town and be like hey can we talk like this is like getting crazy some guy threw a chair through a wall um and like they're just like the the community that it builds and the trust that it builds. I mean, not with everyone. There's also a lot of drama, but the way that it sort of kind of came together and and the, like those ended up being like my closest you know group in college. And I took that job just because I needed a place to live. Like it was, it just like completely changed the way that um, I thought about myself. Like I went from being very selfish in college to like, oh, I have to like take care of a community and yeah. like. You know, it was just a totally different mindset, something I'd never experienced before. Nice. We need to wrap up. Before we do, Jeff, let our listeners know where they can find you and what you're working on. Yeah, so I founded the Sales and Marketing Alignment Summit here in Chicago. Uh, Our first event will be on November the 3rd. Uh, I am trying to create a community of sales and marketing leaders that are focused on working together and figuring out ways to make the relationship better. Uh, it's going to be about finding evidence-based stuff, talking about strategies, what works, all that kind of good stuff. Uh, and so we'll meet on a continual basis. But um, first event is November the 11th, so hopefully people can come out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, which is probably the best way to follow me, at Jeff underscore Davis 2. Uh, you can also uh, follow us, I'm sorry, check out the event website at smasammichaeladamssummit.com. That stands for Sales and Marketing Alignment summit.com and or uh, my personal homepage at Jeff Davis 2 because I'm the second. Aha, see, there's a logic on that. Is it the number two? It's a number two, yeah. Jeff Davis number two dot com. So hopefully everybody will, uh, if you're a sales marketing leader or you have a stake in it, become a part of the community and we can build something right here in Chicago and expand it on out. Awesome. To wrap up, then we'll go around. I actually want to change our question. I mean, why does collaboration matter? We know why it matters. How about we instead we say... <laughs> What makes a strong collaboration, starting with Martin? I think what makes a strong collaboration is knowing who the decider is. Um, I don't think that consensus, especially as groups get you know higher than five people, um, it <laughs> just becomes awful. So uh, knowing who's deciding and empowering them, and then also knowing where everyone else sits in that discussion, I think is really important. If you go to the RA idea, like we had the residential director who you know watched over the building. We had each person on each floor, the two people per floor, and then you in your wing, and everyone knew who decided what in each step of that process. My answer for what makes a strong collaboration, two things, common goal and 
being able to understand your team members' perspectives. Mm -hmm. Jeff, what makes a strong collaboration? I would also agree, definitely common goals, which you talked about a lot through today's uh, talk. Um, an ability to align your self-interest with that common goal, because I think everybody needs to make it personal and make, you know, whatever we're working toward, how do I do that? How do I get excited about that? And then last but not least, a way to keep each other accountable. I think if you're not able to call people out in a way that's respectful, um, people will, you know, be able to kind of do whatever they want to. Uh, and that doesn't really, you know, serve well when you look at um, collaborating. Jeff Davis, thanks for stopping by and joining us. Thank, Thank you, you so for much. having me. I had a great time today. Yeah, this was, really, was awesome. This was cool. Thank you. That wrapped up our conversation with Jeff Davis. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us and collaborating with us on a conversation about collaboration. Did you, the listener, enjoy this episode? If so, the best compliment you can give us is a rating and review on iTunes, as well as subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on. Ratings and reviews and subscriptions help more people find the show. Therefore, more people get to discover their inner awesome. For full topics, references, and resources, as well as Jeff's contact information, you can find the complete show notes listed at www.idealemon.com. That will wrap up this one. Thank you again to Jeff Davis for joining us. For Martin McGovern, I am Rajiv Nathan. You have been listening to the Discover Your Inner Awesome podcast. We will see you next time. But in the meantime, take care and be awesome today. Welcome to the party, we bout to get it on. Leave your worries at the door, we bout to get gone. Bacardi Lamone in the bone, give me some dome. Perry on, smoking the strong, give me Patron in the zone. Shorty that I'm dancing up on, the snake charmer. She made my black snake moan, I gotta have her. See her, then I grab her. She turned me to a body snatcher. Dude thought he had her. At the party, but she left with the dime at the party after. The party don't start to the after party. When your life is a party, you don't have to party. So knowing when I'm waking, I'm taking a couple shots. My life for celebration. Here's the toast to party people in the nation. <laughs> <laughs>